Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everybody in between, that is Eddie Vega. And that is Chibi Ordunia. And this is Words and Shit. Brought to you by The Blah Poetry Spot and Write Art Out. The show where you get to know the person behind the poetry. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everybody in between, that is Eddie Vega. And that is Chibordunia. And this is Words. And Shit. Brought to you by The Blah Poetry Spot and Write Art Out. The show where you get to know the person behind the poetry. Eddie! It's our last show of the season. Oh. Oh. That's like when they say we only have one more poet on. <laughs> right. So what a poet it is. Last poet of the open mic. Oh. But for those of you who are watching for the first time, we have been doing this show since April. And now my dog is whining for the first time during the show. She said, too, <laughs> we've been doing the show since April, y'all. Uh, every week having a conversation with a different poet. Um, and this is going to be our last show until we take a break for the holidays. Not that we're doing anything for the holidays. <laughs> but rest is a thing. Rest is a, rest is, a, is something we can do for sure. Yeah. So we've got more than 30 of these episodes available uh, via video or podcast and whatnot. But we're just so excited to be here to close out the season. And um, Eddie, so I got to say, we've been doing the poetry thing for a while, you and I. Right. Oh, yeah. And I, I'm curious, what is the biggest contest or competition that you have won or came close or placed in? Well, that would that would probably have to be the uh, haiku death match at the National Poetry Slam, where I came in second mm. to Glory B because she won like four times. <laughs> she is like a four-time national haiku champion. She was once a third, three-time national haiku champion. And then I entered, and now she's a four-time uh, haiku deathmatch champion. So, you know, good for her. But I was there. Was, I was there. And that, yeah. was, that was an intense haiku battle. And I'm yeah. just glad the first and second went to Texas Poets. <laughs> <laughs> now, how about you, Chibi? So, you I, I would have to say that for me, it was that same nationals. And it was when we took third place in the group piece finals competition, like third in the nation, Budo Slam represented um, in my heart of hearts. And I'm going to say in the audience's heart of hearts, we took first. I'm going to be like Trump. We won. We won. We, won. we, had, we had a 30 and at least one of those rounds, maybe two. I don't know. But it was all my fault. I didn't know the rules. Cumulatively, we won. I didn't know the rules. I made some bad calls as a coach, but... I, it was just such an amazing experience to like just be in the room, right? And to have your team, your name being called in front of those hundreds of people that were there and just to know like you did something. You did something. You got known for it. I mean, we 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 made a name because of this stuff. So, for, yeah. for San Antonio, for Puro, for ourselves. Yeah. But uh, and I asked this because our guest tonight not only won something big but want it on live television. Let's take a look. The winner of the $1 million and the star of the headline show in Las Vegas is...
Wow. That's right. Tonight we have with us Brandon Leak, winner of the season 15 of NBC's America's Got Talent. But he's also the founder and CEO of Call to Move, an artistic visionary whose roots lie in the ghettos of the south side of Stockton, California. Being born and raised to a single parent household with his mother, Carla Leak Gibson, Brandon was accustomed to the complexities of playing this game of life with a deck stacked against you. However, with a strong home life and some divine intervention, Brandon made it out of his neighborhood ghetto into a college classroom. The journey came with its many trials from the loss of integral members of his family and abusive home life, but these trials mixed with his spiritual collegiate journey would soon blossom into a beautiful poetic journey. In 2012, Brandon started Call to Move CTM at Simpson University with a small group of artists just trying to share their gifts and encourage others to do so, which has led its way into inspiring others through poetry all across the country. Brandon Leake has traveled across this country and abroad performing his pieces, leading spoken word poetry workshops and keynote speaking. And Chibi, I've got to say, it says a lot about somebody in their bio when they say more about the organization that they founded than it does about themselves. So we're really, really happy to have with us Brandon Leake. Yo, Brandon. Hello. Hey. Thanks for joining us here on Words and Shit. I'm excited to be here, y'all. And uh, shout out to good old Texas. <laughs> <laughs> Which you're going to be here soon, but we'll talk about that later. Super excited. Let's go ahead and start the show off the way we do. We're going to hand the show over to you, sir. Please bless us with some poetry. Awesome. So I have, uh, I have some poems I'd like to read from a book that I made that, uh, that'll be getting retired soon, entitled B-Sides. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll start off with... Uh, Start off with this one, something not somber. <laughs> when I'm with you, I want to be able to crumble. I don't want to always have to be strong. I need something to fall upon when the craziness of life erupts and ash fills the air, darkening my blue sky. I need to come back to you so I can remove this heavy mask I wear and rest in the comfort of your arms so I may be seen not just aesthetically view, but so that way you can view into my soul. When I'm too afraid to show anyone else cause I'm doing my best to fight off these demons, but their persistence is draining. So won't you please just be my safe haven? So that's one. Um, and I only read one other uh, poem from the book. So I'm just gonna pretend like one of y'all is gonna tell me to stop. Sweet. Here we go. Um, we're going to read this one. I like this one. Seeing a brown-skinned man with pierced hands strung up tree ornament pretty for the eyes of the nation's moral elite is nothing new to me. In fact, it's probably the blackest thing I've ever seen. The story of Jesus the Nazarene could have been a viral video of 2015, 16, 17, 18, seeing an innocent man blood spilled due to the sins of another, insert the name of Jesus, where you see Philando Castillo, Trayvon Martin. Seeing an innocent man cracked open like strange fruit for the appetites of a hungry crowd. That's Christ. And though he and though they are no sons of man, I think back to Emmett Till. I think back to Nat Turner. 
I think back to the birth of a nation. This crucifixion is the birth of a nation where crosses made from the splintered edges of destructively dogmatic decrees lacking all semblance of that man's empathy intersect with eyes blind to all the truth and love that fell off of his lips but are miraculously open at the sight of his death up here on this cross. This is where the light of the world came to shine and die all at the hands of his own people, only to resurrect three days later is freedom. I know him to be freedom. And my question to you is, are you okay with the fact that the world's liberation came in the hands of brown-skinned men? So I'm uh I'm done with the, I'm done with the book. I'll I'll go into some stuff that I I kind of just have in my repertoire up here. So, uh, oh, forgive me, my ring light ended up moving. Um, you can see it in the back right here too. It's funny. Um, uh, what I want to do? Um, okay, I haven't done this poem in quite some time, so this should be entertaining. Uh, this is a kind of a newer one. Let's hope it's still, uh, still sharp enough to be able to do. <sighs> Where I'm from is an engine block. A bunch of pissed teens raised under the hood. So that love is fragility. And even if you only a little brittle, it'll get you killed. And that's why I don't love my niggas. A matter of fact, I hate my niggas. Wish that I could erase my niggas. Because don't nobody deserve this to be forced to shape shift from human being target, depending on what block you own, to be more accustomed to the field of Kevlar than you are your own family tree, but see here, sets run deeper than blood. Cause I done seen pyromaniacs use a spark to turn a grape seed into raising a barrel in the sun. And that's why words like love don't penetrate persons like these. Cause we be communities where my nigga is the closest thing to when I love you one will ever receive. It'll be the first words we fit each other with and our final words goodbye. The way inflection can change my nigga to my nigga. The way we done turn diatribe to dialect and give a damn about syntax until the block and IRS coming to collect. And that's why words like love no longer rest on our tongues. Because in a place like this, a word so sweet is such a bitter pill to swallow. And here we all know too well the cost of vulnerability and how it will cost one's humanity. And we've long exchanged that for survival, for being a real nigga. My nigga, my niggas learned how to find love in the distance between their bodies and the concrete and understood all too well how being honorably discharged was a double entendre because it was the first time that they ever felt peace. And that's why my niggas roamed the streets in search of a, in search of their own reflection, hit that rival block and shoot down that young man, just hoping that if they killed that inner demon, that they can finally be free that they can finally be gone. And now it's crazy how that block got turned into a crime scene, the way them shots ran through that man and now fragments of his tortured soul spread around into that slain man's kin. And now comes revenge because if you can't kill him, kill all his family and friends. Tell me what the hell is love to a person who lost everyone they ever cared about? A death wish, peeped how your nigga's life sentence got turned into a sentence fragment. Hell no, I don't love my nigga.
I don't hug my niggas because when I do, dirt is the only thing I ever put above my niggas. And uh, I got, I think I got one more for you. Um, and I just thought about this. I haven't, I haven't utilized this poem in so long. Um, and so I, I, I've never memorized it, but my wife loves this poem. So I'm going to share it because it's, it's for her. And to end off on a happy note. So uh, um, actually, I'm going to read a short one first, and then I'll read that one. Uh, so my short one goes like this. It's entitled Nobody. Nobody want to live. To them, I am nobody. What a predicament. How do you prove nobody's existence without first taking it? Simple. You tell the world, nobody want to die. And when I pass, you justify my departure by saying, he asked for it. So if you were able to keep up with that one, um, that's one of my favorite short poems I have. And so uh, here's my final piece. Letter poems are so cliche. So many people have written them that they've started to lose their genuineness. But I mean, you and I have always been the exception to the rule. And you know us, our whole time together has been a blockbuster romantic comedy. So dear Anna, Ever since I met you, you've always been a little bit extra. And please don't take offense to what I just told you. What I genuinely mean by that is that you've always been more than enough. <laughs> and what I also mean by that is that like my life would be just fine without you. And what I mean by the word fine is the same thing as when like your girlfriend or in particular you, my wife, say that you're fine, knowing damn well that you're not. Yes, you see, I, I kind of got that love for you because I like to think back how long we've known each other. And I know there must be a heaven up there somewhere because the <laughs> we've been because from the day we met, we haven't been so close, but more so so close Two individuals chasing after intimacy with our creator that just so happened to be growing closer together in the process and who would have guessed that all this could have started with a poem and speaking of poems i'm not really quite sure if this is actually a poem but much more my confessions forcing us to let it burn because you have to be a, you've been a superstar before you ever became my boo and it's the simple things that we do that make my heart scream yeah and you see i'm just so i'm just so caught up by you so allow me to take your hand and let me whisper sweet nothings into your ear. And I promise you, the truth hurts, but are you sure you can handle it? Okay, well, the truth is you remind me of it. Wait, time out. Uh, I apologize. That's the wrong album. Anyways, um, I just hope that one day I can say I love you and it not simply be words, but instead a thread that ties us together or atomic bonds because the way that it, the way it would be the way it would take a force of nature to separate us uh, from one another or me just screwing up royally, whichever one comes first. But I think you get what I mean. Like you and I, we could totally be a thing that isn't just a short term attraction, but instead a love that's long lasting where you fill in all the pieces of my unwritten dream board and you can place my name in all the places where husband lies. And as the years go by, we can get older together and sitting rocking chairs on our front porch and have all the neighborhood kids singing songs alongside of us of our childhood, like, get off my dick! Or every little thing you do, you're on my mind, you're on my mind. 
And speaking of being on my mind, like, it's real that you've been on my mind, particularly ever since April 18th. It's kind of weird because my friends will catch me smiling for no apparent reason. Uh, (laughs) And it's only because of you. And because it's really hard to put into words that I'm only thinking about how the night before we were conversating about everything from 90s cartoons to theological principles. But I think that sums us up pretty well. Like, we are two people whose spectrums range from eccentric to conventional, from conservative to liberal, black to white, quite literally. But hey, maybe that's just how we work so well. Because our two universes were always complete on their own, but together just simply made better. So as I said, I'm not sure if this is really as much of a poem as it is my confessions. But hey, at the end of this soliloquy, I hope you understand that you're the most breathtaking woman I've ever met. I'd love to share life with you until my very last breath. Sincerely, Brandon. That's my poems for y'all today. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing us, sharing that with us. Um, I guess my first question, you know, poet to poet, is uh, why America's Got Talent? Like, what, 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 what inspired you to go out there and um, try that venue? Man, because uh, I hadn't seen it, to be honest with you, because uh, I hadn't seen it. I tried out for the show Facts. back in 2017 and gotten like, uh, so the way America's Got Talent and a majority of these shows tell you that if you don't make the show is that they say, hey, uh, you know, we'll be in touch with you soon if we're interested in having you be a part of the show. And then uh, you see a commercial one day that the show's running. And that's the only way you know you didn't make it. Um, so that's how I got my no uh, in 2017. But that actually became like a really strong spurring moment for me to then chase after excellence and spoken word from transition from just loving it to then respecting it. Um, because in that transition, I studied more. I studied people who didn't just do poetry. Like I studied comedians like Dave Chappelle to be able to learn comedic timing and learn how he does setups. And, you know, uh, like I'm like how he'll start a joke at the top of the show and then like bring it to a climax by, you know, punching, doing a punchline towards that joke as well. Um, like all of that type of stuff was beautiful. Studying battle rap because they're some of the best people for double entendres and things like that. Studying um, poets of old like Black Ice and Sonny Patterson and these people who, you know, aren't on Button, but they're on, <laughs> like they laid the foundation for a thing like Button to even exist. And so, yeah. Um, so yeah, like AGT was the methodology because it was a place, it was the only place that I could think that spoken word could get on national television that way. Yeah. I mean, I got to say, you know, like in my family, I'm the poet. So like (laughs) how I found out was my parents texting me being like, there's a poet on America's Got Talent. Have you seen it? I'm like, I don't have cable. Um, (laughs) Because that's the life we live. But yeah, that was, I think it's just a huge moment of, of exposure for something like you said, like there are, there are people that have come before us that have laid the foundation for like what, what is happening now for year for decades. Right. 
And so I'm curious, I, I, I don't have this written down in my questions, but I'm curious, like who, who were your kind of influences that have influenced your style, your type of writing that laid the foundation for you as it were? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of them. Uh, Rudy Francisco, like my, probably the origin of my career is being a bootleg version of him. Um, to be <laughs> Uh, him, uh, an artist like Propaganda, Micah Bournier, like those are like more in the Christian sector of things. Um, looking at artists like, uh, I can't pronounce her last name, but her name is Portia. She's the poet laureate in Boston. Yeah. Portia O. Um, yeah, Portia O. Uh, and like looking at like her and Boston's work, um, a personal friend of mine, uh, Ike Torres out of Sacramento. Um, and uh, so like, those are like the poets, um, of course, like studying people like Vincent Hughes and Maya Angelou um, and things like that. Um, and then like in the hip hop vein, like Kendrick Lamar's of the world and stuff like that. But in terms of poets, like I would say that those are some of my, some of my biggest influences were the, the first five names. Nice. Now was it, uh, what about them? Was it, or is it maybe it's a combination like you took a little bit from everyone, like maybe some writing, some style in their, their spoken, uh, in their cadence, maybe is it like what? What were you looking for in some of them? Honestly, when I was in my inception of it, it was just I fell in love with the stories. Um, so it wasn't even like voice or cadence that I really paid attention to. It was the same thing that almost every young poet falls in love with is just the the vulnerability of it, mm. um, the mm -hmm. ability to share yourself. And like I saw them share parts of themselves that I could resonate with and that I was able to, to identify with. Um, mm -hmm. And then later on came the studying of them, right? So like, uh, for instance, like one thing that I, I would say I, I took from Rui uh, for a period of time was his ability to utilize an extended metaphor throughout the course of an entire piece, right? So like okay, yeah. I, I worked on that hard to try and keep a theme to, an, to a poem so that way it's mm. stuck through. Um, with a person like Propaganda, I studied his use of wordplay and his ability to like like say something that has a double meaning, meaning a, a double entendre. Um, with Micah, his ability to infuse music with spoken word was something that I studied. He's the only reason I ever made spoken word poetry album was because of that. Um, and so, so yeah, like, like it's bits and pieces of everything. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, performance wise, probably a poet who I studied a great deal is a uh, Tony McPherson, just mm -hmm. because of his complex choreography that he brings to the culture. <laughs> so. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, does, does the man even have bones the way he moves? <laughs> you know all what that. I mean? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's safe to say that all, and any poet out there has a like Rudy Francisco of sorts where you're just kind of like this, I mean, I kind of am mirroring this because like, it's such a big influence, you know, uh, we, we all have our kind of like really big influences that develop our style, but then we find our own voices. Um, I want to dive into this a little bit about the, the vulnerability that you talk about, you know, and actually somebody commented, they said vulnerability to share your voice. Uh, and that's as, as an audience member, that's exactly what resonates with me. They said, um, Thank and you, in, 
<laughs> and in looking at your work and things like that, you do, you really expose a very vulnerable side. You get very personal. You talk about your family. Um, there was that one poem about the, the letter to your dad. Um, and so you were raised by a single mom. How much of your, your upbringing, your raise, your, your childhood, like how has your family and that influenced your writing and how are you able to share that piece of yourself with the world? Yeah. I mean, um, So I come from a I come from a family of teachers and preachers, um, mm. and I swore I would never do either, and I do both. Um, <laughs> and so, um, and so, like the the I think the role that my family dynamic has played into who I am now as an artist is the fact that um, my family, being such empathetic souls and people allowed for me to learn how to be, then be empathetic towards others, which mm -hmm. leads into my work, where I'm now able to express what I'm going through in a way that people can attach themselves to it, right? So like, for instance, the poem about my dad is a very specific one to what I went through. Like, mm -hmm. that's a literal walkthrough of my time. But it's also a poem that's um, wide reaching enough to where poets or not even poets, but like the average Joe or Jane can listen to it and plug themselves in and it not even have to be about their dad. It could be about their mom, about their grandma, grandpa, whoever. Yeah. Um, and so I think that my style reflects the fact that I, I still try to write in a place of healing for myself will also lead towards hopefully some type of restorative healing for others. Mm. Now you finish that poem with um, with you like picking up the phone and calling your dad. And we have a, a question from the audience asking, I'm curious, both me and my son want to know if you were able to develop a relationship with your dad. Yeah, not, um, me and my dad have uh, an intriguing relationship, I would say. <laughs> like he... Um, He's involved loosely in my life. And the, the reason being is just because, like, I don't, I love my dad, but I don't need him to be a dad. Like, he's a friend to me. Um, mm. You know, I don't need, I don't need to learn how to shave, despite the fact I don't do it often. I, <laughs> I know how to do it. Uh, I don't need to learn how to ride a bike. Um, I wouldn't go to him for marital advice. He's, he's not been married, and that's not something that he does. Um, like <laughs> spiritual advice is something that I wouldn't go to him for either. So like there's that father-son dynamic is, is something that he robbed himself of uh, to mm. be able to have that. Um, so like our dynamic is really just like, hey man, let's catch up. How have you been? Um, as opposed to this like pouring in type of a scenario. Um, and uh, bigger than that though, I'm really protective of my daughter. Uh, mm. So like you know, my father being somewhat of an inconsistent person uh, in all of his kids' lives, I'm like, yo, your absence from mine is something I've already rectified and dealt with and forgiven you for. Uh, I won't allow you to be inconsistent in my daughter's life, though. You can either be in or out. That's that's kind of the, the cutting, cutting edge of that. Yeah. Where, like, uh, there's a... a, a 
<laughs> I was at a show with somebody after I did that poem, uh, another poem about my my. No, my wife called me. <laughs> <laughs> um, a significantly angrier poem about my dad. Um, but uh, inevitably, what ended up happening was they're like, "Hey, I had a really abusive father who was inconsistently around." And when he finally left, I finally got healthier. So like sometimes there's blessings and absence. And so I took that as I was like, yeah. sometimes not having to deal with the fight is better than having to battle out for the relationship. Mm -hmm. Now, um, faith is an important thing in your life and, and uh, has a role in your poetry. Uh, and I, as a person of faith in the poetry community, know that sometimes that can be a little difficult in the poetry community that um as being for, for whatever reason uh how's that been for you uh navigating that oh man i mean like it's a it's a thing where the the church has to be willing to recognize the way that it's failed the world um mm. and that it's hurt a great number of people um and shifted the blame to other people uh, and the church is not a building, but uh, and it's not an institution. It's the people who embody it and who claim to represent Christ. Um, so yeah, it's, it's of course difficult, uh, but it's it's made more difficult due to the the continued failure of us as as a uh, as a collective. Um, so yeah, I uh, there's been difficulties. Like I've had to have conversations with folks about it, uh, and also. The poetry community has helped me become a better believer, in all honesty, uh, in terms of being able to hear the stories of, of other people from other communities, like LGBTQIA plus communities that I had, like, you know, no history or involvement with previously outside of my very dogmatic concepts that were taught to me in Sunday school um, and being able to humanize them in a real authentic way. Um, same thing with, like, you know, learning about like mental health and, you know, stuff to that nature. Like, you know, in historically in black communities and in Christian communities, you get told, pray it off, sleep it away or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure that in Latino communities, there's a very similar essence in that same regard as well. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like being able to stop stigmatizing these things and to see the people that exist within and behind me is a, mm -hmm is what I've learned to do here and been able to then apply and practice to my faith. I, I love that you bring that up and you, you um, and clearly this is not the only time because I was reading an interview you did, I think with People Magazine, you bring up uh, Roscoe Burnham's and his show Traumedy, where he really talks about like mental health and breaking down that stigmatism. So it's so important that people continue to speak out about that because there is that in this community, in a lot of communities. Um, and so I wanna ask you about your community and where you come from, right? And I started asking, this is a two-part question. I started asking this question back in Latinx Heritage Month about people and where they're from, but I've continued to ask it and I think I'm going to continue to ask it. So two-part question. One, what is your favorite thing about where you're from? And what's the second part? Well, let's start with that one. <laughs> oh, okay. I yeah, yeah. <clears throat> uh, I was just waiting for the ball to drop. Um, <laughs> but uh, but no, I would say my favorite thing about where I'm from is the people. 
Mm. Uh, the people of where I'm from, like we're a quote unquote drive by city, like off I-5 where nobody like, you know, people intentionally drive by us because, you know, high crime or whatever. Um, and so I, uh, I love the people who are here who elect to remain here because they're so invested to this place. Um, we're not San Francisco. We're an hour and a half drive. We're not LA. We're like a five hour drive. We're not Sacramento. We're a 45 minute drive. We're this weird amalgamation of like, kind of like these disparate parts of people who were both born and raised here, but who are also being gentrified out of their communities. And so like, we're in a lot of ways, like the true roots of what California has been. Um, mm. And so, uh, yeah, like I love this place because this place is fertile ground for what I believe to be a massive revolution in terms of uh, both in the political landscape and on the artistic landscape. All right, all right. I like yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. And part two of that question, what is your favorite dish from where you're from? And this could be your neighborhood, your city, your region, or maybe just your house. Like what's your favorite food dish? Yeah, nah. I mean, like California is weird. We don't really have dishes unless you like <laughs> consider avocados. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but uh, but no, nah, I would say um, my two favorite things to eat while in Stockton in particular is El Griense, uh, get chicken tacos with hot sauce um on it and then also request queso and they'll throw cheese on it as well <laughs> um and then uh eddie's pizza uh they only exist here in stockton both eddie's and el grande there's like other people who have made restaurants el grande but like the one i'm talking about is only here um <laughs> but uh but no like those two places are like places you can't you can't miss when you go they're always solid and always good it's funny when you mentioned about the avocado because I, I lived in California two years and when my friends would ask me about the food, I'm like, well, you can have anything California style. You just add an avocado to it and it's California style. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm, um, like, I'm like avocado and french fries. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm on I'm on a group chat with Roscoe um, and uh, he was the one who had that question about why AGT, you know? Ah. Um, and uh, anyway, but also... Um, Asia Samson's good, Roscoe? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Asia Samson's also on that chat, and he says that you uh, you were showing up at his open mic in uh, in Miami, not Miami. I'm sorry, in Florida, um, Pensacola. Pensacola, thank you. Uh, showing up at his open mic and and saying he he said yeah he said he was going to go on AGT, but I didn't know what that was or what that was what he was talking about, and uh, I'm so glad it worked out for him. You know, um, <laughs> anyway, you got you got some shout out uh, on the poetry yeah. community. Um, so nah, because like my time on AGT was a significant win for bigger than just myself. Like mm -hmm. it was a sincere win for spoken word as a genre and as a whole. Because the, you know, like there, of course, there are those who don't necessarily care whether or not spoken word elevates and gets in the mainstream eye and public eye thing. I am not one of those people. I care about that for the sole fact that I care. A, that the art form remains faithful to its roots. B, that the art form grows and continues to cultivate new ways to continue to be better. But C, um, I want folks to get paid. Like, <laughs> I, 
I, I want artists to be compensated for what we do. I'm tired of folks having to beg colleges for these two and $3,000 gigs and only being able to get like nine or 10 of them throughout the year to survive off of having to you know pick up the you know leftover bits of what these school districts will pay for us to be able to lead, lead these poetry workshops in their schools as if what we do isn't as valuable when we are like you go to a spoken word show like if you go to a comedy show you know what you're going to get you're going to get laughs if you go to a r&b concert you're going to get lovey-dovey feels if you go to a hip-hop concert you're going to get this raw authentic feel unless you're listening to like the littles of the world then you're going to get mumbling but um like <laughs> you go to a spoken word poetry show you get all of that you get every single piece of that you'll get a funny poem for the day of somebody who's just like yo i'm trying to lean into some laughter give some levity to the space i got this love poem for my boo trying to make them feel good tonight you know what i mean like yeah. i got this really hard gritty poem about my neighborhood and the political landscape of what we're dealing with or i got this poem that's like and I feel like it today. And this is just where I'm at. So like mm -hmm. spoken word artists are the only artists. Well, we're not the only. We are the predominant artists that share the wide array, wide array of emotional landscape on stage, like I've seen nobody else do. And you you've been a great ambassador, I think, you know, and and for spoken word uh since that, because it was I, you know, you get all the questions and I'm sure like, is this poetry or um, is, can we call that poetry? Um, what's this, what is this spoken word that you speak of? And is this, is this a new thing? You know, you kind of maybe get some of those questions. Have you gotten any just question in during that ambassadorship that you thought was just like, this is ridiculous? No, not really. I mean, probably well, the only thing, sorry, I just got to move this one thing. Um, probably the <laughs> only thing that uh, kind of frustrated me throughout my entire process of this was after I did my poem Pookie on America's Got Talent, like the, the momentum behind the poem became Brandon Leake's Black Lives Matter poem, right? Mm. Um, mm. And uh, for me, it's not that I have any, oblig uh, any um, not obligations, uh, objections to Black Lives Matter as like the sentiment. Like I wrote, I write that on posters. I got a BLM uh, like bumper sticker on my car. Like I rock with it, I rock with it. We go out there and we protest, we do our things. But that piece was not that. Like I have highly political black poems and that was the least political black piece that was able to be given. And here's the reason why that frustrated me so. was because that moniker being put on the poem now automatically people who may have been willing to hear and be swayed by it now see the title above it, BLM, and automatically tune out and won't give it a real ear mm -hmm. to listen. Mm -hmm. um, and I would like for that poem to just be given the opportunity to speak to speak what it is, an empathetic piece about a son and a, a, son and a mother yeah. and her desperate cry for him to get home. Yeah, um, for sure. For sure. There so, is that that need of like for people to like just kind of like pigeonhole something when to your to your point, 
spoken word artists and a lot of uh, poetry and spoken word pieces definitely touch on a lot of subjects. You know, it's not just like, we're not just talking about one thing, you know, if you actually pay attention and you, and you listen to the words uh, it, it really hits home. And to your point earlier, like it allows people to be empathetic, right. And to put themselves into the, into the position of the speakers. So I totally hear what you're saying with that. And I mean, clearly by your win, like you spoke to people and it, and it, and it touched people and they, they got it. And so anybody that like found you through uh, AGT can maybe like assume and see that it's like, oh, this guy, he got an AGT. He's won a million dollars. It's an overnight success. But like you've been doing the grind for a while, right? You um, released your album back in 2016 in my, in, uh, in my thoughts you went on tour for that, like for anyone that As doesn't. Aside, in my thoughts is trash. I'm gonna <laughs> throw it out there for the world. Don't listen to it. I'm taking it off all streaming services very soon. The only work I'm proud of is deficiencies. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> all that being said, like you definitely like have, have been doing the work for for years. So like for anybody that wasn't familiar with you for before the AGT days, you know, like what was life as a touring poet, you know, as a touring artist before all of this? Yeah. Um, I think to comment on that as well, I think an interesting part in that is that like you know, the prototypical route to success poetically has been through the slam scene and slam culture. And mm. I think a lot of people have been somewhat either weary or um, may I dare say frustrated at my lack of participation in slam historically. <laughs> um, because I, I only did one national poetry slam in 2015. Um, in which my team did not do well, but also it was my first ever time. And uh, Sacramento's scene has been cultivating significantly since then. Uh, mm -hmm. And I only did one IWIPS, which was last year, 2019, in which I took, I was right, me and Jamon Hill were tied to go into, uh, we were like the 15th slot out of like the top 14. Mm -hmm. So like, I would have made like, point one points higher i would have been on final stage cool thing um but no and i think um i like and i'll close this out and i'll answer the actual question i think some people have looked at it and said like yo there's been some who are like yo he didn't do the gauntlet like everybody else has done to like you know like quote unquote earn the stripes or whatever and i think there's others who are also just sincerely like yo we don't know this dude, what is his intentions with utilizing this platform now? Because, you know, like there's a standard, like there's there's a heavy, heavy as the head that wears the crown to be able to then go represent the community. Um, mm -hmm. But my history poetically uh, begins in college, starting, as I said, starting Call to Move um, and then touring around. Like after MPS was my first tour in 2016, I did like 21 dates, self-booked, did the whole thing. Um, met my wife on that tour, which was a beautiful time. Um, mm. And then uh, only, reason I di only reason I didn't do MPS in 2017 was because I got married. Um, and I put poetry <laughs> on the complete back burner and said, my first obligation is to my household and to be a husband. So I'm going to spend my first year not doing anything poetry related, for real. Um, 
And that's when I tried out for AGT because I was like, yo, the one thing I'll do is I'll shoot my shot at a million dollars. Because if I win a million dollars during my hiatus, my wife will be okay with that. <laughs> uh, and so uh, after after that year of 2017, I'm like, hey, I want to get back into the grind. I win the Grand Slam championship for Sacramento. Um, but actually, no, I don't. Uh, I don't even participate that year because I actually plan out my tour 150 dates. 10 months, 15 shows a month on average, uh, booked in places like New Zealand, Canada, Mexico, 36 around the country. I even had a stint where I was supposed to do two months in, in Italy and a month in South Africa, but I just couldn't afford the tickets to get out there. And all of this self-booked. Um, I took the process of respecting poetry very seriously to then learn how to be able to be my own management agency to learn mm -hmm. how to do it for myself um, and get myself out there for the world to be able to see it. Because I was like, yo, um, no diss to Button. But I'm like, Button can't be the only route to being successful in terms right. of like being seen by the world. I have to be able to find another means. Um, so that became my avenue. That's awesome. You know, it's kind of funny you say that you got, you couldn't do poetry because you got married and uh, I started doing poetry actually after I got divorced. So <laughs> <laughs> that kind of stuff. And I was there at 2017. So I made 2017 uh, NPS. Uh, <laughs> look at that probably in a roundabout sort of way. Um, I didn't, what, I didn't was that one in Chicago? Huh? No, that was, that uh, was Denver. Denver. Oh, Denver. Yes. I yeah. knew it was somewhere that snows. <laughs> Um, did you have to change a lot of your poetry, uh, for AGT? Like, were there words or topics or anything, or was that, is that, is that what you've been true to this whole time? No, um, I've spoken word. So like, I don't, I rarely ever cuss in my work. Um, and it's because a, a, because of my faith, but also B, because I've wanted for it to be accessible to all age groups. Um, my shows that I'm touring on actually frustrate me because they uh, they limit it to like 18 and up in the majority of spots. And I'm like, why? But anyway, <laughs> um, uh, but no, I didn't really have to change anything, to be honest with y'all. Like, to be completely real moment, I didn't even think I was going to get to do Pookie on the show. I, mm. I pitched Pookie alongside a love poem I wrote for my wife. And I was like, oh, they're gonna totally pick the one for my wife. It's gonna be super easy. Do this lovey-dovey poem, slide through. Next poem, I'll do one about me being a teacher and how messed up our school system is. And then I'll be able to come back and kill him with the poem about my daughter. And then we'll be smooth. And then they're like, hey, yo, we wanna do Pookie. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? And they're like, yeah, like we like this is the poem that resonates with us. And uh, you know, as timely as the piece was, it was it was one that they also rocked with. And so um surprisingly, uh even for me at the time, AGT gave me a great amount of levity. Or not levity, but freedom to be able mm. to like stretch my wings out in that regard. Um now if I was saying like the N word or like the F word, every other word in the poem, then I'm sure there would have been some issues. <laughs> um, but uh that that's just not that's not my work so yeah that's so good to hear i feel like that's 
my work is not cut out for primetime TV. So <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's, it's really good to hear that, like you were able to stay true to yourself uh, and do, do your authentic work uh, without having to like edit it for, you know, mainstream American audiences. Um, we have a couple of questions here from the audience that I wanna get to before we, we continue. One, uh, this may be quick or it may be elaborate. We have a question from my sister. I'm just gonna say she's my sister. She, uh, <laughs> do you have a pre-performance ritual? Uh, just a quick little prayer right before I hop, off, hop on stage. That's about it. I. Uh, yeah, all depends on how tired. There's I am. no, there's no vomiting. Uh, there's no water, no drinks, no. Not nah, like I, I live a really like straight edge, clean lifestyle. So like I really like my only vice is sugar. To be honest Ooh. with you, so like I drink. Uh, I'll cover the label because they're not paying you guys, but you can tell what bottle. It is. <laughs> you know what I mean? mm. Um. If you want to, if you want product placement, you got to cut a check for that these days. <laughs> right. <laughs> all right. So, all right. So quick no sugar is like my only vice. Quick and simple. A little prayer right before. And then we have another one. And you, feel free to not answer these questions too. But he's visited a ton of places. Any place you hated? Any place that I hated? Uh... You can plead the fifth. Just so you know. <laughs> nah, actually, I didn't. It, okay, so like, I didn't hate the place. I just hated the show because it was advertised to me differently than what it was. So I had gone mm -hmm. out to the Bronx to go do an event, um, and they had like made it seem as if like there was gonna be like hell of people at this event. It was like the first one that they were doing. It was like the comeback event after like a couple years off. It was like, yo, like we're gonna we're gonna pack this out. And it was in like this like kind of hole in the wall spot that like I think only like maybe like six people slid through throughout the entire <laughs> event. Um, and I like used my Southwest Rewards points to like get a free ticket to go out to the <laughs> show. Oh no! Because um, I didn't have it on my tour schedule, I added it. Um, and then I was like, I didn't book a hotel because I was going to do the event. And then just go sleep in the airport. But then by the time the event was over, because it started late and ran late, I had to then also get a hotel room, which costed me money that I didn't get paid enough to compensate for the actual place I was at. Mm. So, like, I think I lost like three hundred dollars going to the Bronx. Oh mm. my gosh! Um, so it's the Bronx, yeah. or even the event. Just be honest about what the event is, so that way I, the people can be prepared for it. Note to producers, get your shit together, all right? right. <laughs> uh, one more from the audience, actually. Uh, what has been your favorite place to perform? And I think they're hinting at something, but feel Nashville. free Yeah, I just got done performing at Zanies in Nashville. That, that, that performance was dope, but... Uh, Hands down, my favorite performance I've ever done uh, was in Humboldt. Um, oh yeah, California. Here, in, here in California, um, it was the first. It was the first official stop of my tour um, at like a poetry venue, and uh, like it was the first time like performing live any of the poems off of my Deficiencies album, and it was a, uh, it was just such an emotional experience, and like to have shared that there um it was just so was just so measurably gratifying um i remember like 
a person coming up to me after the show and being like, man, like I found healing from this tonight. Mm. Um, and that was like a sentiment of like five or six people who came up to me, which like a vast majority of the people who feel that way don't even say anything. So I'm like, I know that it was more than just five or six. Um, and that, that hit me to know that that's what people were able to leave with. Yeah. Now you are, um, you live in California and you're about, and you like basketball. But um, I'm—I don't know. Am I assuming too much that you're a Kings fan, or is it Golden State Laker or fan. Lakers? So I—I'm uh, realizing now I'm less of a Laker fan than I am actual just like a Kobe Bryant fan. Um, <laughs> and uh, but uh, but yeah, like I'm just a fan of good basketball. To be honest with you, like um, I'm also like uh, I'm also like just a fan of like of like good people who do basketball like for instance uh in spite of the fact that i hate him on the court oftentimes like lebron james as a person and a human being is phenomenal in terms of like his i promise school that he opened up where any graduating student gets free tuition at the local college that's in that's in his city um like looking at what Steph Curry has done in terms of his initiative in the Bay Area to be able to bring a wealth of uh, resources to like at-risk students in that community. Like, I love the fact that there's people who I could buy into both as a person and on the court. Because mm -hmm. uh, there's plenty of people who are just kind of assholes who play sports, <laughs> but they're really good. It's kind of like when you meet like your favorite poet and they're kind of a dick and it's like, damn, but your work's so good. I can't support you the same way I supported you before. Like listening to that poem oh, no. is different now. <laughs> now we're all curious about that, but we're not going to ask that, that, that. But I did hear a podcast, I was to a podcast today uh, and they were ended up talking about um, sports and basketball and how different the NBA has been uh, during the uh, Black Lives Matter movement compared to other sports like the NFL. And uh, they made they made they mentioned uh, LeBron and also Chris Paul, uh, and, and a lot of their uh, their contribution, their activism, and and how how different it is uh, from just is basketball an influence also in, in your work or your poetry at all? Basketball's influence is not directly tied into my writing. It's directly tied into uh, the way I chase it. Um, I learned work ethic mm. from my time as a basketball player um, and being able to pour myself into something like that in a way that I don't think many people will genuinely understand. Um, and, uh, but that's also like from my time studying Kobe Bryant and his obsession with basketball and like being like-minded in that. And then once I stopped playing, my obsession with basketball transitioned to then this kind of obsession with this art form because I had to fill my time with something. Um, so yeah, it was like basketball gave me a drive to be able to chase after this because admittedly in 2015, when I was on Sack Slam's team, I was a really bad poet. Like I was not good. <laughs> um, and I'm still not that great, but I'm hungry. And like, I chase after it. Like I go study. I write frequently. I'm I'm learning to appreciate reading, which I have not historically been a reader. Um, 
but like I I know what it will take for me to submit my legacy in this art form and it's going to require my dedication um, and I'm willing to give that um, and if people aren't willing to do that same thing then it, it'll be a bit by how quickly I'll pass it. Mm. Let's talk about that legacy for a moment uh, because you know we we briefly mentioned you being on America's Got Talent, you you winning the show definitely opens doors for what spoken word artists can do, you know, in the future, what poetry can be in the future. But you've been doing this for a while. You started uh, the organization Called to Move um, back when you were in college. And um, so this is a twofold question. One, for anybody who is unfamiliar with what Called to Move is, what is it? What does it do? And then from the audience we have, do you have a long-term vision for Called to Move? What is it going to do moving forward? Yeah. So Called to Move in its inception was just a eclectic group of weirdos on campus. Um, <laughs> Are really we all? Have, you know, it was just like a place for like, you know, like church doesn't, church has a rotation. It's like sing, offering, sing, pastor, sing, leave. And very deep, very few deviations between that. So there's a bunch of artists who are like, yo, I do stuff, but it just doesn't really get recognized in this vein. Like the poets, the rappers, the painters, the dancers. Like, And so I, I found a bunch of us who were there and were like, yeah, like I do this for fun. And I'm like, oh, let's throw an open mic. And uh, the first one we did, we had like 15 people. The last one that we hosted as my senior year, we had 300 plus show up in the building. And so like it, and the beauty of what, art does too is it's a cultural um traverser meaning like in this extremely white place uh african black culture and latino culture got exposed to these people in a way that the school would have never imagined um because our art was able to be expressed and undenied in that in that space um but what called the movies turned into is uh singular person at the moment with like a couple of disparate like losers like short like uh part-time folks who i'm hoping to draw in further who lead poetry workshops and do events here locally in our area where we teach kids how to be able to utilize poetry for their self-actualization and being able to share who they are as well as being able to put on events for the community to be able to come out and come share the work in which they've made and so uh and the vision for where Galton will grow is hopefully to be like a national organization rooted in self-actualization through art. Mm. Mm. Now that, that I'm not sure if that's your only ambition because I, I got word that you have another ambition regarding grocery stores. Yep. Called to move. <laughs> uh, so uh, called to move is loosely tied to that with, I don't mention that in the back end of it. Uh, I want to buy a grocery store in my southeast side of Stockton because um, they. Uh, I lived in a food desert growing up, in which folks, you know, like were not able to get access to to the things that they needed. And when you have over policing, access to drugs and alcohol readily and cheaply, no healthy food, or like, you know, workout facilities for people to be able to let out their anger and aggression and gang violence, you're then going to create powder keg that's inevitably going to blow. And then people will say, oh, look what these animals do, right? Um, 
And the, the reality is if you provide people better, initially they won't do better because they'll stick to what they know. But over the course of time, they will be better and do better. Hmm. Um, that's just who we are. That's just who we are. Um, and so, uh, yeah, the, the, the dream and the vision is to open a place called Neighborhood Grocery. Um, there's a huge, there's an old Kmart because all the Kmarts are gone that I want to go purchase and then revitalize the uh, huge acre piece of grass that's behind it into a community garden where we can host uh, cooking workshops for the local community where they can learn how to cook with good local produce, be able to feed a family with it, and then be able to give them a bag of what we just helped them learn how to cook and it'll feed a family of six for a day. And so um, I want to bring real revitalization to my city. And I know that the most uh, disenfranchised are the ones who need it first. Mm. That, sounds, that sounds amazing. Yeah, that's yeah, that's absolutely amazing. My, my sister says, fund the community. She's a community activist. So this hits near and dear to her heart. Um, so let's talk about the future for for Brandon Leak, the the artist, the performer, the the spoken word, the poet, um, both immediate and in the long term. So in the immediate future, you are coming through Texas, are you not? Um, yes, because your lovely state don't care about COVID, so I get to still come <laughs> and and, uh, and enjoy myself, come do some live shows and whatnot. So my yes. I. I have to take a moment. My nurse of a husband would be very upset if I didn't say, <laughs> wear your masks. If you go out in public, if you're gathering, stay six feet apart. Please be responsible. But you that ain't getting that. in the venue without a mask. I <laughs> okay. promise you. That you're being not said, getting in the venue without a mask. <laughs> tell us about your upcoming uh, Texas tour. Yes. So, uh, Brandon Leak Live is coming to texas november 30th first second and third we got we got houston uh addison which i hear is like pretty much Dallas, texas from what i from what i've been told yeah, yeah. it's all um, arlington and san antonio um so i'll be hitting all four cities tickets are widely available you can go to my instagram and click the link in my bio purchase your ticket there um you can ask these spoken word artists here um Watching a poem online or on television is a significantly different experience than it is watching it in person. So if you think that it's a powerful thing that you've witnessed on television, I promise you, you've not seen half of it until you get the chance to experience it live in person with me with a mask six feet apart <laughs> do the whole thing. Mic condoms. Do you have a mic condom? <laughs> Those are important now. I, I I went out. I should probably maybe I shouldn't have, but it was an outdoor venue. Somebody invited me, and um and they said they said everyone's gonna have their own mic condoms. And there's a little slip that you put over the mic so that you're only using your spit up onto that mic, and then you take it off. I told everybody we're practicing safe sets. You know. Um, I hate you. I hate you right now. <laughs> I love that. That's great. If I get a mic condom, I'm stealing it. Uh, Still like so, that joke. So then second is uh Brandon Leak in, in the far future. You know, you got a Vegas show coming up at you know, I don't know when Vegas opens again. I don't know. When you know, like, COVID's not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
what are what are your thoughts for for something like that? Because that's that's huge. You know, that's bigger than just like a, a solo show at at a venue as you're touring. This is your chance to like create your own show from scratch. Like, what do you have in in the works for that? Uh, I can't give away too much, but I can say it's it's going to be something unlike I think a vast majority of the world has ever seen. Uh, the infusion of jazz, hip hop, um, graffiti, um, you know, crowd interaction. Uh, those types of things are all going to be so integral into this hour-long set that I'm going to throw up onto that stage. Um, it's going to be beautiful, to be honest with you. Um, and it's going to be uh, a shout-out and an ode to all of the people who said that I'm not a Vegas act once we sell every single show mm. out. Um, and they see just how wildly entertaining that I was able to take them on a full movie ride in an hour with just my voice and a few uh, and a few bells and whistles. Uh, you, you, thank you for that. Um, I wanted to ask you earlier because uh, one of the poems you did uh, it was a love poem, and you talk about how uh, not everybody does love poems. Um, do you have any favorite love poems that you want to recommend to people out there? Uh, Besides yours, of course. None that come to mind at the moment. There's, I know there's one uh, Francisco does where he talks about this girl in the coffee shop. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, if you want to hear a good love poem, it's not a poem, though, it's a song. Um, it's uh, called My Hood by Show Baraka. And it's a it's a love poem towards the uh, the communities that have been destroyed uh, in this fight against oppression. Mm. And so, um, love that song. So, if you want to hear that, it's called "My Hood, USA" by Shel Baraka. All right. All right. Well, th thank you so much for everything that you've shared with us this past hour. Uh, it's been, I think. This is one of those wonderful people, wonderful moments where, you know, people may have known you from TV, but like they get to know you as a person and it's just so much more humanizing. And I think the message that you bring and the work that you're doing is so much bigger than, you know, a, a TV series win can really encapsulate. So props to you for everything that you're putting out into the world and all the work that you have done and will continue to do. And I'm just, we're just really grateful that you were able to come and spend this time with us. Yeah. So and we love the sweatshirt. And I think people are wondering if they can get one too. <laughs> yeah, nah, I, so like the hoodies on the website, you can go get yourself a safe Pookie hoodie. People were like, why don't you, why don't you put the actual, just regular Pookie hoodie? Why do we have to have save Pookie? And I was like, because save Pookie was always the hoodie. Uh, they just don't allow you to do hashtags on clothing when you're on the show or weird stuff like that. Um, but, um, yeah, nah, I, uh, oh, Jesus Christ, I can't believe that. But, uh, but yeah, no, um, so I guess I'll close this out with a poem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just real quickly for anybody that's interested, go to calltomovectm.org if you want to find more information about uh, Brandon, where he's going, um, get some merch. He's got clothing. He's got books. He's got CDs, except for that one CD he's going to take down later. That's fine. Um, <laughs> or now before he takes it down. Yeah. <laughs> or, my, you if know, you want to see my progression as an artist, get it. 
<laughs> you go. You can work with me when I when I was not when I when I was not all that solid as an artist. So <laughs> you know, we all have a journey, sir. We all have a journey. So that being said, <laughs> thank you so much again. If you would please just close this out with one more poem. Yes. Uh I'm gonna see if I can do this as much from memory as possible. I haven't spit this poem in a while. I forgot I even had it in my repertoire. So this is going to be fun. Um, imagine willingly subjecting yourself to a task that wears down your soul more quickly than black conversations with two kids in a grocery store who have arms of elastic and uh, ah. <laughs> who have arms of elastic and patience that runs thin. Uh. Oh my gosh, no. Um, I'm just going to start that over. Imagine willingly subjecting yourself to a task that wears down your patience. That wears your patience so thin it may as well be translucent, or better yet, non-existent. To put yourself cliffside, to put your cliffside soul against the erosion must must endure to chase that almighty dollar. That is what it is like to walk into work most mornings. To stare at a building and contemplate all the ways I can make that thing burn without it looking like arson. I mean. Karen always keeps her space heater a bit too close to her trash can. So, I mean, a loose paper or two here mixed with the crank to high heat there. And whew, I got at least a few days before they elect to have us continue to work in the remains. But ain't that capitalism for you? She'll see you burn to the death in an attempt to court her and still say that you ain't earned a burial. And I'll still be here at work tomorrow. <laughs> Trying to fit my God-sized dreams into this nine-by-five cubicle while simultaneously trying to two-step to the tune of my aspirations. And my coworkers be irritated. They say I'm far too loud and absorbing way too much real estate. Well, Karen, I'm so sorry that my aspirations require more space than your heater does. But maybe one day you'll realize the only reason that this office has grown so cold is because it's become a morgue. To store all the dreams in which you all let die. Or maybe this has always been you. Maybe this space hasn't caused your soul to atrophy the way it had mine, but maybe I'm taking up too much space in your home, as you say. But understand, I ain't got no choice because capitalism has forced my residency in currency, which I've just never found value in. Somehow, this is the only thing that this country be valuing. As for me, I'd rather find value and purpose through the continuance of new experience, discovering how home is every place I press pen to pad on, and the curtain only closes when my and the curtain only closes for my after party in heaven and ain't there something divine about that how writing these poems is the closest that i've ever felt to god the way i can turn ink into a universe with the sweat of my hand no wonder why god chose words to speak life into existence it's the most beautiful thing in which the world has ever heard they say if you love what you do then you'll never work a day in your life well i want to spend mine creating stories as frequently as i create memories and doing that i know that <coughs> doing that i know all the sweat tears and blood i've shed will have not been in vain but maybe that's just me maybe you karen have found vitality within these four walls Maybe you discovered home in a routine that you can lean on, but you got to understand the consistency that this place brings is not something I'm trying to knock. I'm not defy hustle. It's something that I will embrace for you, but the parts that I love most about myself. 
are dying here under this frigid regime. Creativity's been curved. Free rain's downpour has ceased. They threw a book at me that said I either live or die by the cold. And this world gave me hypothermia in the process. So understand, America loves art. They love their movies, music, and museums. They just don't love the artists that breathe life into them. You see, they demand our art, but then deny us our living. I remember having a conversation with somebody and they said, yo, man, I think that artists make their best work right before they die. I thought about it. And maybe that's why they try to starve us. Thank you. Real applause, real applause, real thank applause. You, thank you. Yeah, yeah, real talk. That last part. Uh, man. I was doing that. I was doing that thing where you go, mm, you know, <laughs> like at the poetry show, you have to go, mm, and I did the mm for that last part. Uh, yeah, that that really hit home. Thank you for for sharing your time and your work with us. Uh, thank you so much for everything that you're doing and for what you're going to continue to do and. Um, for joining us here on the season closer of words and shit. So thank y'all for the platform. Uh healthy times for your husband as he's continuing to be out there in the field as a mandatory worker for uh you know fighting this time. Um prayers and uh well wishes to everybody who's continuing this good fight as well. Uh stay safe out there, rock your masks. I know it may feel inconvenient. Uh, but it feels a whole lot better than not being able to breathe on a ventilator. So mm-hmm. let's, uh, let's get through this and then get back to uh, a better form of normalcy than rocking masks and a better form of normalcy than the uh, kind of trash world we lived in and endured before this whole thing. For yeah. sure. You know what's more inconvenient than a mask? A tube down your throat. So mm-hmm. <laughs> please wear your mask. So please. Brandon Leak, everybody, he's going to be touring through Texas. If you're in the Texas area, just check out his website. Follow him on Instagram and Twitter. Make sure you are out there so that you can know where he's coming through. Uh, just support it, you know. And as my sister says, rock your masks. <laughs> <laughs> All caps. She's yelling at us. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're serious over here. Uh, thank you so much for joining us again, Brandon. Adios. Oh, Eddie. That's Jimmy. the end of the season. I know. What are we? I don't know what I'm going to do next Thursday. I'm going to like drink. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> next Thursday is supposedly Thanksgiving. We'll see. Oh, that's right. I forgot. See, because. I'm still like, it's still like what August to me. I don't know what month we're in really. Yeah. Um, I know it's November because like my birthday is in November. And I, I think I did that last week, but it might've been like two weeks ago. Don't remember. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm just so grateful for everybody that has joined us. Uh, like we said at the top of the show, we've been doing this since April. We have more close to 40 episodes having performances and interviews with poets from all across this nation, both paid and stage. Yes. yes. So if you're interested in finding more, uh, you can follow us on, Eddie, what is it? Word at, words and shh. That's right, words and shh. We wanted to do words and shit, but they didn't let us. Whatever. Words and, we're, not a, we're not a secret. We are words and shh. It's out there. Twitter and Instagram. So follow us there. Also, if you want to catch up on past episodes, it, we are now a podcast. Mm-hmm. 
You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, past episodes are going to continue to go up throughout the winter break. And uh, we're now on YouTube. Uh, yeah. YouTube takes three hours to load any video. So just give us a minute. <laughs> but we will post. So we have a break now. So they're going to be loaded up there. And since you have a break, if we have a break, that means you have a break. You've got plenty of time to watch the videos, to listen to the podcast, to some of your favorite poet, spoken word artists, page and stage, just like Chibi said. A lot of them there. And we're looking forward to the next season and bring a lot more poets, more poets to you. Cause hey, we're starting the season before March or April. So we might even get to like 50. Who knows? Who knows? We don't know. It's gonna get crazy. That's right. So we're going to be coming back in January. This is our last episode for the year. But like Di, Lady Di says, she loves that she can get past episodes on Spotify. So Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, go back and listen. Um, thank you for joining us on this journey. For those of us who, for those of you who've been with us since April, um, for those of you who are just joining us for the first time, this is going to continue. Go back and listen to some of these episodes because there are some amazing interviews. Yeah. Until next year. That was Eddie Vega. And that was Chibordoña. Good y'all, night. Y'all stay safe out there. Mask up. <laughs>